So my name is Maurice Ndole and I'm a journalist and I'm the publisher of Africana Voice. And today we are hosting this session with the, brought to you by the medical professionals from the Central Valley, California. Let me introduce you to our leader, Dr. Daphne Kanyaru, who will take over from here to introduce the guests with my assistance and we'll, take, we'll get on with the presentation. Dr. Daphne. Good afternoon and thank you for coming. Um, you know, this is very important, very important topic and I'm so glad that you made time to come here. My name is Daphne Kanyaru. I am a family medicine and lifestyle medicine physician and um, really been interested with mental health. It's been some months now since I've really been thinking about it, looking at my, you know, my own life and just what's happening around me. I realized that we really need to talk about what's going on with us because we are losing too many people, too many, you know, young people, even adults. So we really need to face what's happening. Uh, you know, as my professionals said, we are not living in survival. We are, thank God, we have abundance, so to say, and we really, uh, and our kids now can focus on other things. So we have three professionals today who will be talking to us and with us. Dr. Maureen Karina, she's a psychiatrist, resident, but she also, she's almost graduating. So she's interested more in child psychiatry. And honestly, we need, we need many of, of those. And we are grateful that we have her. I'm so thankful that she's here with us. We have Paul Duali, who is from Friends of Youth. He has really been, uh, you know, out there dealing with youth that are struggling with mental issues. So he will tell us more about what he's doing and how he's been able to help youth uh, navigate through their, you know, men mental illnesses. And we have David Mwangi. Dr. David Mwangi is a psychologist. Uh, you know, he's with us here in the Central Valley. He will also be speaking with us. And we're grateful for Maurice. He brings us together, helps us to moderate and organize sessions like this. So we are thankful for him as well. So we just get started. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Daphne. The format of, the, of this uh, session, we will have presentations for an hour. And then we'll have uh, some questioning of the panel according to their skills and backgrounds. And then we'll have a Q&A from the audience. Without much further ado, I want to introduce you to Dr. Maureen Karina, who will be the first one to give us a, a presentation about uh, the topic of the day, overcoming mental health stigma. Welcome, Dr. Maureen. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I think a good way to start this would be to really just highlight simple yet things we overlook on our day-to-day -day lives that could be giving us flags and signs that we're not doing so well in regards to our mental health. Like previously we were discussing, a lot of us have grown in conditions where we, we didn't need to do anything but survive. So the way your brain was wired, you're always on flight or fright all the time to the point where you 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 didn't have space to accommodate anything that wasn't presented to you in a way that's providing for your basic needs. And fast forward, we're able to now overcome that and not only just have basic needs, but have things of leisure. And with that, your brain is starting to relax and process some of the things and um, us lacking to understand what our triggers are, three things that push us to the edge when it comes to stress, how we react to stress, is um, making our people, our kids, and um, spiral down in a way that we're not pointing it to, hey, maybe it's my mental health that's um, struggling versus all other things. Uh, just a couple of things that you can watch out for for your children, for yourselves, especially on a day-to-day, month-to-month, is check your sleep patterns. Um, are you going for periods of time where your sleep patterns are changing? Are you sleeping too much? Are you sleeping too little? Uh, do you notice that you're easily tired and fatigued the next day? Are you irritable? Especially, there's been studies coming out showing that in uh, the African and African-American population, depression shows up quite a little bit opposite that, than how it does with other populations with irritability. 
moodiness, low frustration tolerance, right? And other things could be contributing to this, but keep an eye on the patterns that it's showing up, right? So your appetite, are you noticing that you're eating too much, too little? How's your energy, your ability to concentrate and complete tasks in a timely manner? Are you falling behind on projects at work, in school? Are you having more moments where you're like, man, if I sleep and not wake up, that would be fine. So some passive suicidality or increase in like, hmm, if I was to die, maybe I would do X, Y, Z. You're starting to formulate plans and intent. These are not normal things. These are not things we should just brush under the rug. Keeping an eye on things like that helps you to talk to someone or have somebody seek out help for you. Start with your primary care physician. Go see Dr. Kamiara and tell her, hey, I might be having a thyroid problem, but over the last one month, my sleep has been really off. My energy has been really off. This, that, and the other. Could there be something else that's causing this? Also just being open that the same way we treat high blood pressure, diabetes, migraines, we need to at some point address and be okay with treating mental health disorders. Just because we don't have a lab or a scan or an image that shows you that your serotonin is depleted or, you know, your GABA and your glutamate and all these things are are lacking, it doesn't mean it's not happening in your body. And I think this is the biggest part of the stigma that we really need to address. Just because we don't have an actual physical paper showing that these are the symptoms that you have. It's all very clinically diagnosed. It doesn't mean it's not existing. Please guys be open to trials of CBT, therapy, medications, whatever it is that can help you overcome these periods of dark moments that you get to experience. And when you're able to do that for yourselves, it's easy to see it in your kids. It's easy to see it in your relatives. It's You become more aware and, and identifying it with other people and helping them be able to reach out for help. And we can shorten and avoid the struggle that people are really having now and almost like build a community of support amongst ourselves for us, for the kids and, you know, for everybody around us. So I think that's the biggest thing that I would address today is just really being aware of what you consider normal and when things start to change in regards of like your mood, your sleep, your appetite, your thoughts and talking them out with somebody and seeking help early. That would be my biggest, biggest um, take home today when it comes to identifying what mental illness looks like for yourself and for your loved ones. Thank you so much, Dr. Karina. I I really appreciate you've raised some really big stuff. And uh, one of the things that uh, before we go to the next next presenter, next speaker, uh, you've mentioned uh, some of the mundane things that are happening in our lives, irritability, the lack of the ability to complete tasks, some of those little signs that we experience every day that we ignore. And uh, when we were preparing for this, you also talked about how people are very quick to deny that they they might be having some depression or some mental uh, health challenges. And then you also mentioned something to do with uh, mental health does not show those outward scars that people can see with other things. There's no injury that you can point to that this person has broken a leg or something. So those are just some good pointers that you put put out there that I think are going to be carried on uh, along as we speak today. Dr. Kanyeru, did you have something you wanted to add on there? No, I just wanted to say it's really important, like Dr. Maureen is saying, that identifying those things and asking ourselves, you know, what is going on? Definitely seeking help because... If you don't know, then you're not going to seek for help or do something about it. One more thing for the parents um, in the group. Sometimes the hustle and bustle of every day, we're not able to see these things in our kids, like our children who are transitioning from preteens to teens to that way. So you get a report card or you keep getting these conference calls in school, right? That your kid is having behavior issues or difficulty um, concentrating, completing tasks, almost And you guys remember, because of, unfortunately, because of our skin color, the notion of it's bad behavior versus there might be an organic reason that's causing it would always be pressed for our kids 
first before other things. So when you start to hear these things in your home, sit back and ask yourself, when did I start to notice changes with my child? What's going on? Why are they irritable? Are they sleeping? Are they eating okay? What could be it, right? And start to st- start to process it with them. Sit down and talk to them. K- kids have feelings like like we do, and they could be irritable. They could be moody. They could be having emotional outbursts and all these things that are being masked from a depressive or an anxious or like a separation anxiety disorder um, cause versus ADHD. And you find a physician who's impatient will give you the ADHD medication. But the reason your kid was acting this way in the beginning was truly never addressed. So especially for the kids, I really, really beg the parents to pay cues and attention to to their behavior. Yeah, so so, yeah, Dr. Maureen, you have raised some really mundane things. These are things which we can actually spot for ourselves when you're actually working with our families. And for us over here in the U.S., mental health nowadays could be a death sentence. We've seen, uh, we had that young man, uh, Ivo Otieno, who ended up being uh, being uh, smothered to death by healthcare officials when he was having an episode. So we can uh, look at this session, not just as a matter of uh, what we're having a discussion about mental health stigma, this is actually some life-saving skills that we might be able to learn from the professionals in this panel. And once again, the topic of the day is overcoming uh, mental health stigma. And it is brought to you by the Central Valley Healthcare Professionals. And uh, our leader is Dr. Daphne Kanyaru. So we have to say kudos to her to, for arranging these uh, sessions every now and then. And we're looking forward to more of this. So at this point, I want to introduce my good friend, Paul Luwali. Paul, the stage is yours. Uh, give us your presentation. Introduce yourself a little bit more because I know I can never do justice to introducing you. So introduce yourself a little bit more and then go into your presentation. Thank you, Maurice, and uh, more so thank you, Dr. Kanyaru, for, for having me in this uh, forum. I really appreciate uh, the invite. My name is Paul Luwali, and I, I'm here in uh, Seattle, Washington. By profession, I serve as a president and CEO of, of an agency called Friends of Youth. This is a youth-serving agency that's been around for about 75 years that primarily focuses on uh, young people and uh, youth and young adults and their families who are struggling with issues related to homelessness, behavioral health, especially outpatient counseling services, uh, whether it's SUDS and some other things that I'll be talking about here. I'm more on the side of uh, providing leadership and awareness related to the topic. And also, most importantly, I would say my biggest uh, role is uh, dismantling uh, a lot of systems uh, of oppression that actually lead to uh, what we call the system that we have and the system that we have to deal with. But uh, I want to start off with just uh, saying a couple of things that uh, Dr. <laughs> Maureen talked about uh, related to just some things on mental health. First of all, it's real. And especially on matters related to behavioral health, I would just urge everyone here to think about mental health with having more to do with thoughts and feelings and uh, mental health when we talk about disorders I think we use the word mental disorders more than anything as far as professional people in the in the work uh, mental health disorders think about behavioral disorders when you're talking about when you hear somebody saying depression and Maureen said some of those things uh, PTSD that's more on the side of mental health you know behavioral health speaks a lot to the whole suite of so many different things, but specific actions people take and how do you respond in various settings. I I really want to highlight one thing related to especially mental health. And yes, your culture, it doesn't matter how much resources you have. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter all those things. You could put all those things on the table. And if the culture says no, it's not going anywhere. And that's been proven more so than not. And I would say, especially in this work that we do related to mental health, this cultural thing is is so huge. It is so huge. And it is one of the things that does not allow the good strategies to happen or uh, things to, to, to progress. But within that, that that setting of culture, there's also this other thing called choice and um, education as far as education or mental health and how people understand mental health. There are some things that are involuntary choices that happen to people. You know, when people think of, if you think about, uh, you know, people hear the words psychiatry or, you know, those kind of things and you think, oh, that's a big world really. 
related to mental uh, mental health, and it is. But uh, think of things that are involuntary or things that are voluntary. You know, you know, when we grew up, at least when I grew up in Kenya, I'll just speak for myself. Is you know, we use words like kuchizika, and we use words like you know, just uh, uh, some words that we use that are connotated necessarily to people who are on some kind of mental health spectrum. Some of these things are involuntary. I, I, people, I don't think people understand that term of, of, of choice, and some people don't have a choice. You know, when you think of Alzheimer's, that's not a choice somebody has. That's just a, that's a condition that has had a psychiatric condition. And then when we talk about behavioral disorders, and you know, we use these words very whatever. Example being substance abuse or substance disorder or even things like anorexia. So there's all these things as far as education. And my contribution to this conversation is is really there has to be this level of education and awareness of what mental health is. And it's not just a simple. I think uh, Maureen talked about you know a lot of different symptoms that um, you can see in folks. Uh, and you know there is there is there is this cultural thing that uh, sometimes uh, if you're from a certain generation <laughs> that um, you know the words used to be I know Maurice and I've talked about this kaki sabuni you know just uh, vumilia you know this is this is something that you just need to vumilia but no this is not something that you can just vumilia these are things that you need to start that conversation with your doctor when you're feeling certain things. And going to Dr. Kanyaro and saying, "Hey, here's what's going on," and let them direct you. You know, it's the simple things as that survey. You know, and then you see the doctor, and the doctor asks you questions like, "Do you work out? How often do you work out?" And you say that you know you work out two times, and maybe that's two times a year. Well, they were asking you about a week. Uh, you know, those are things that could contribute to your well-being. So it's being honest with yourself and really understanding that um, you know. Uh, something that Maureen also said before I hand it off here is it's it's not a matter of survival. That kaki sabuni thing uh, is so outdated and so wrong, and I'm here to say it's so wrong. You're not just here to survive; you're here to thrive. Okay, people are here to thrive, not just to survive. And we have the luxury of that being diasporans in the U.S. But I just wanted to say this is real, uh, and the life of your children. If not for you, can change dramatically by just understanding of what is mental health and what do I need to do. What can I contribute towards? Not only your your children's mental health, but uh, you know, a lot of times things that happen in families start with the parents. So, what is the parents' mental health? And this irritance that we feel that sometimes we project on kids. You know, if kids are picking up on that and they're and they're being traumatized. Like I said to my dad and mom, you know, you were traumatizing. You know, my mom used to believe that you know you go to school regardless. You know, if you, if you had a tummy ache, it was uh, you don't study with your tummy, so just go to school. Uh, even though, like, you know, it's these things that uh, you know, it's easy to start just telling your kids the same thing because that's what you grew up with. But those are things that are, you know, you're not there just to survive. You're there to thrive. You're a human being, and you should thrive. So thank you very much for being here, and I will pass it back to Daphne. Thank you so much, uh, Paul, for for that wonderful presentation. I think that we will hold off the questions to the end, uh, so we'll give David the chance now to give a, a, a to give his presentation, and then we can start going into questions. Thank you. It is indeed an honor to be here. Uh, yeah. So my name is David. I'm a clinical psychologist. I do more of forensic work with people who have mental health issues. I've been doing this for the last 18 years. It's a passion. I never imagined that I would go into this area. When I was growing up, I remember one lady who was my neighbor, who now looking back, I realized maybe she had something like schizophrenia. But it's interesting because all the people, we had all sorts of terms that we used for this lady. And they were all very derogatory words. And I would often hear even my people in my family and neighbors and whatever talk about people with mental illness. And the terms that were used were very, very negative terms. I remember later hearing people say that you don't marry from such and such family because they have mental illness. 
And the interesting thing is that we can hear people talk about physical illnesses and those issues never come up. But the moment you begin to talk about mental issues, people seem to have all these negative stereotypes and myths and that end up putting people with mental health in a very, very difficult place. Mental illness is very common. I was just reading some statistics from the National Institute of Health, uh, and they did a study in 2021 that indicated that 57.8 million Americans uh, reported experiencing mental illness. That is one in five adults. And 14.1 million adults, or one in 20, had a severe mental illness. A severe mental illness commonly refers to a diagnosis of, you know, something like psychotic disorder, schizophrenia, delusional disorder or schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, major depression with psychotic features. That's severe mental illness. And 14.1 million. In 2016, for example, 7.7 million youth reported experiencing a mental health disorder 7.7 million years so this is not something that is isolated or something that is just a a drop in the the bucket this is really a big issue probably many of us probably know people we may have family members we may have friends we have people that we work with that are either struggling or have struggled with with severe mental illness But the more startling thing for me as I was looking at the statistics is to realize that in 2021, almost 35% of people with severe mental illness or 5 million people never sought mental health treatment. In the same year, 42% of young adults between the ages of 18 and 25 did not receive mental health treatment. Can you imagine if we were talking about something like diabetes or heart issues with such a high incidence of people not seeking help? And so the question is, why are people who are suffering with mental illness uh, not getting help? Uh, Some medical insurances don't cover mental health. We also have lots of cultural and religious beliefs associated with mental health. In fact, what you learn when you explore this issue is that a lot of times when people have mental health issues, they don't go uh, to a mental health provider. They don't go to a psychologist or a social worker or a psychiatrist. They go to their pastors. And so uh, we find that there are a lot of people that fall through the cracks and who end up actually not receiving the treatment that they need. But because today we are talking about stigma, a huge reason why people don't go to treatment is because of stigma. And so you may ask, you know, what is stigma? Stigma has been defined as a set of negative attitudes and beliefs that motivate individuals to fear, reject, avoid, and discriminate against people with mental illness. How do we, what are some of the words or the terms that we use to refer to people with mental illness? You know, some of the words that we've used are things like psycho, right? Freak, you hear people talking about a basket case or someone is mental. You hear people talking about that someone is crazy. Uh, And what happens is that because of the way that we refer to mental illness, when people begin to suffer from mental illness, the last thing that they want to do is to go seek for help uh, because they are very afraid and they are aware that people have uh, negative connotations surrounding uh, mental health. For us coming from Africa, a lot of times you hear that people are bewitched or cursed and sometimes they are referred to as criminals or even killers. Uh, The other thing that is often associated with mental health is uh, myths. And myths are widely held false beliefs or ideas. So an example of a myth is people with mental health problems are violent and unpredictable. And the fact is that only 3 to 5% of violent acts are attributed to individuals with uh, severe mental illness. And the vast majority of people with mental illness are no more likely to be violent than anyone else. So that is a myth that really perpetuates, that puts people with mental illness in negative light. And no wonder we have the stigma that uh, we, we are talking about. And there are many factors, really, that contribute to mental health problems, including biological factors, genetic predisposition, 
physical illness, brain chemistry, and those types of things. Now, there are three different types of stigmas, um, and one of it is public stigma. This refers to the negative reactions or stereotypes of the public towards people with mental illness. And I already alluded to things like uh, mentally ill people are dangerous, they are violent, they are crazy, they are killers. That's public stigma. And then we have stealth stigma or what we call internalized stigma. And this occurs when people with mental illness internalize the public perceptions of people with mental illness. So people begin to think I'm incompetent, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm cast. So people internalize some of these prejudices and it becomes an internalized, it's like they identify themselves with mental illness and they see themselves as useless or worthless. And then we have institutional stigma. And this happens when public institutions restrict the rights of people with mental illness. So people are not able to hold jobs. Uh, people think that these people should not be allowed to marry. They should not own property. Uh, they should not be able to engage in business. Uh, so that is institutional stigma. So stigma in general has a very adverse effect on people with mental illness. People end up feeling very ashamed and guilty or they become hopeless. They don't want to seek treatment because they don't want to let anyone know that they have uh, mental illness. They have poor self-esteem. They are socially rejected. They may not be able to seek employment. And a lot of times people go through violence and bullying. Uh, what can we do to combat stigma? We need to treat people with mental illness with compassion. We are usually so compassionate towards people uh, who have physical illnesses. When you hear that someone has a heart issue or they are diabetes, they had a stroke, we usually show up uh, at their doors with food and with other things to support them. But that's not the case with people with mental illness. A lot of times when someone has mental illness, they are isolated, which from a mental health perspective can really have very adverse effects on someone with mental illness. We also need to encourage people with mental illness to be honest about their illness and treatment. There are many people, as I alluded to at the beginning, that uh, what led me into this area, uh, this work, is that I was able to interact with people who had actually suffered from mental illness. And when I heard their stories, it so inspired me that I wanted to give my life to this. So a lot of stereotypes happen or misconceptions about people with mental illness happen because we have not interacted with people with mental illness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. David. And uh, that was very insightful. I think one of the things that uh, you have said is you've kind of broken down the statistics. And uh, if uh, one in five people, adults, are suffering from mental illness and one in 20 have severe mental illness, those are some very stark statistics. So, Dr. David, thank you so much for that presentation. So, at this point, we're going to get into the uh, questioning point i think uh, i think there was a question that has already been asked in the chat dr kanyaru if you want to take over and uh, see if maybe you can direct this yeah question um yeah. yes how do you differentiate teenage hormone changes and like behavior issues or mental health issues um an easy way for anybody who's not in the clinical field to kind of pick up cues on how your teenager could be going through hormonal changes versus mental health is again observing the behavior of your kid right with hormone changes especially with the girls you will notice them coming in phases right so if there if it's if it comes almost hmm, how do i say think about it as the way like a cycle like a a 28 day or a 30 day cycle right you will notice during the follicular stage there is increased so, so the you can associate the change in behavior with the cycle and, and th there will be a pattern, right? With mental health, there's almost like a steady state of the behavior. Uh, you, the irritability is there, but it's there every day. It doesn't come one week we're irritable and then the next week we're not so irritable and not so moody and snappy and changing. It can happen, but there's almost a steady state when it comes to you knowing 
uh, this might this might be much more mental health versus hormonal because of the consistency of the presentation of the symptoms and then another thing is the hormonal changes you will hear a lot of physical symptoms complaints i'm sweaty um you know sometimes my legs are hurting um, my abdomen i'm nauseous this that and the other versus you can have those things with a mental illness but they're very much more non-somatic you're like i don't know i just feel down or i don't know i just don't want to get up i'm just not motivated to do anything and it's a consistent almost like a steady state presentation but if you're ever wondering um observe your child for a month with everyday behavior and see if there's several things that are lasting for longer than two weeks at least and you'll be able to pick up and seek help when it comes to that so when you go to the pediatrician or if you go to the primary care physician you can tell them hey it might be hormonal but over the last two weeks she's been very down she's been cutting or saying that she doesn't want to live anymore or this is this really hormonal or is this mental health that really helps your clinician to guide you in a way of um proper treatment i I hope that answers somewhat yeah question yeah i yeah the the only thing that i can add i I think that's uh, pretty concise i I would talk about two things the degree of symptomatology that you are seeing you know all of everyone gets a little depressed once in a while or stressed or whatever they don't want to get up and whatever and that happens a lot with, with teenagers but i think one of the things to look at is the degree of symptoms someone who was socializing and now they don't want to socialize someone who was enjoying different activities and now they are not enjoying anything your child is not enjoying you know they just want to sleep they don't want to they are isolating from their friends so the degree of of symptomatology is going to be important the other thing and the dsm often brings this up is how many different contexts because a lot of teenagers when they come home they lock themselves in the room they don't want to talk to anyone but when they are with their friends you see that they are engaging when they're in school they're engaging so when you begin to see the symptoms present in many all the different contexts in school the teachers are saying that uh, they're isolating they're not engaging they're not doing their homework you find the same thing happening at home the more context that the symptoms are presenting the higher the likelihood that it might be probably something deeper than just hormonal changes does that help at all that's awesome david thank you so much i wanted to add on top of that if you can address this issue where we are scared or afraid that if we take our child and they get diagnosed with something anxiety depression you know whatever the diagnosis they might get that it's it's going to be stuck with them you know all their life so for a lot of parents we may not want to do that can can we at least address that a little what does it mean when they get get this diagnosis it just means that the child needs help and sometimes Unfortunately the system has jaded us to the point where if you seek help down the road this might come and bite you in a negative way and that is why some of the parents hesitate um like for example here in the Central Valley we're predominantly Hispanic and some people are undocumented this that and the other those people are 100% scared of bringing their kids and saying my kids need help because they think they might be caught or their kids might be taken away from them you know they're not good parents there's this thing hovering around them that their kids end up suffering in silence but think about it this way would you rather know what's going on with your child and have it addressed and your child thriving rather than continuously question if there's something going on with your child and your child continues to suffer because of a diagnosis that might be slapped on their um on their chart now granted sometimes these things do come back and they're not the most positive things in a school setting or you know your kids treated differently but it's one of those situations you sit down and say risk versus benefit sure the risk is it's going to be on the chart my kid might you know have like some negative presentation benefit is we found out what's going on with my kid my kid's no longer struggling we, we're getting them help coping skills therapy whatever it is and they get to turn their story around and not leave with this you know shame and and negativity that comes with the diagnosis so unfortunately the system is made that way but i think 
with no hesitation, I would a million percent take my kid, get the diagnosis, get the treatment versus stay home with the fear that it might be something that will will tag on or hang out, hang around them for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Before you jump in, uh, Paul, I see there's a hand over there. I'm going to let me acknowledge the hands. And then Paul, go ahead. And then after Paul is uh, done, uh, Joseph, you can ask the question. And I think uh, uh, Maurice, you also had another question. So yeah. Joseph asked the question and then Maurice. Uh, Maurice, you came first. So you're going to ask the question and then Joseph can go after you. Yeah, so I work a lot with systems and uh, Dr. Marini is right about there, there is a system <laughs> and the system. Uh, I, I also want to acknowledge that the system has probably, it's one of those things that uh, maybe has not worked the best. And a lot of it has to do, and that's why the topic is about stigmas, uh, that there are stigmas that are there. But there is a system that is actually there to help. <laughs> and there are people, there are service providers that that's, that's what they are trying to do every day that will go to work every day to try to help those those folks. So again, encouraging people to seek help is is, is always is that. Uh, think of the system of the people, whether it's a service provider, uh, they are there to support. And, and that's the work that, we, that's the words that we use. We're here to support you and and offer services that may help you, okay? Yeah, but the, the truth of the, and we started off with this, and that's a big hot topic for me is, um, you know, every, 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 especially young people, they, they deserve to thrive. It's just not the survival mode. And whatever your situation is today, as to the eloquent words Dr. Maureen talked about, whatever your situation is today, it doesn't have to be your life. Okay. It doesn't have to be your life. If you just think about it in that context, the situation today may be hard, but that doesn't have to be your life. And we are talking about mental health. And the key word, I won't even go on the mental, is the health. Okay, it's help. And it's the same thing if you were having a physical ailment. You know, if you don't treat that, you know, fracture, what could happen? You could lose a limb. If you don't treat that thing that started off as a swelling that could get infected, you could so many things happen. So your situation today, yes, it may be painful going to the doctor. And it may have some things that you have to carry, but it actually could save your life. And quite frankly, there's a lot of young people in, in the work that I do, I, I, I do every year. Every year, we are burying young people every year. I have to deal with different things about uh, we have lost a 17-year-old, an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old or whatever. This is the reality of it. So I'd encourage anyone, the stigma is real. But overcoming the stigma is probably one of the best things that we could do. So don't feel anything about help getting help first. Thank you. Can, I, can I add something, Maurice? You may not know that suicide is the second leading cause of death among children aged 10 to 14. And the third leading cause of death among those aged 15 to 24. And a lot of times, you know, we've all had those stories of, uh, you know, young teenagers and adolescents just uh, taking their lives and and you know a lot of people are dealing with lots of stresses especially since covid came right and so you're gonna have to weigh do you want them to be dealing with these issues by themselves or do you want them to get help a lot of statistics will tell you that if a kid is dealing with depression they are more than twice they are twice more likely to to drop out of school than kids who are not dealing with depression Thank you very much. Uh, a lot of times in the U.S. we are dealing a lot with mass shootings in the news. And uh, whenever there's a mass shooting, it's blamed on mental health, which adds to the stigma. But I don't want to add, uh, change the curveball here. Joseph, unmute and ask the question, please. Your hand is up. I want to thank you guys for putting this together. It's a good opportunity to part. I think I had two questions. One of it is just understanding what demarcation is between the di- different therapist that you would have because I see here David is a psychologist and then we have psychiatrist how do you figure out who is the best person to go to and in terms of covering the cost of it how what's what's the avenue to start thank you yeah uh, yes thank you very much for that question and I can add a part b of that is how do we make this discreet that way we don't have stigmatization because you sought help 
David, go ahead. Uh, answer that question for Joseph. Yeah, to answer it briefly, we find that a lot of people when they go to see their medical doctors, if they have an issue that's uh, mentally related or psychologically related, then they will be referred to, to get help. But a lot of times we find that, uh, you know, someone will be seeing a psychologist, especially for the, you know, severe mental illness. Someone has a, a, a psychotic disorder or something like bipolar disorder that they'll be seeing a psychiatrist because they need to take medications. And then at the same time, they'll be seeing a psychologist. So there are lots of times when we work uh, hand in hand with um you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, licensed social workers who do therapy. Most times the medication will be the first thing that is done so that the person can be stabilized. And then we we, uh, we take them through therapy so we can teach them how to alternative ways of coping. But those two, a lot of times, go hand in hand. Yeah, let me add just one thing to that question because we get a lot of people who, especially on the on the on the, the resources to to do that. So there is private insurance that um, if you can afford private insurance, you can go that route. Um, and usually your your primary physician will can can help with that, uh, or if you have insurance, they can help with that. Then there's also Medicaid, and I think a lot of people don't understand that there's Medicaid. And Medicaid is is there, at least in, in our state. It's a federal and state joint program to help people who who uh, economically cannot afford services. And there is Medicaid even for behavioral health uh, services. So you can you can use you can get you can you can use Medicaid dollars. I think a lot of people don't know that. Again, this is part of the awareness thing, and I just kind of wanted to highlight that and for the folks you know there are people who call me and ask me friends family whatever hey how do i you know to your point maurice discreetly uh they're not there where they want to seek help uh, openly and outwardly how do i find a whether it's a psychiatrist or psychologist or how do i whatever uh there are so many tools in today's day and age that were not there 20 years ago i would just tell you that um but you can do these things discreetly online if you're feeling you know some of the symptoms dr Marine talked about uh, psychology today. Today, you can get uh, you can just go online, look at psychology today, and say, "I'm looking for somebody near me, and I want it to be a woman or a man or a person of color or somebody from from whatever culture." There are so many tools today, and if anything doesn't work, Maurice, please at least use Doctor Doctor Diaphine and and Maurice, and uh, they can always contact me. I will get you all the resources in the world because it's a very very critical issue. I can find other people and service providers, and all of us here can if you're looking for that. But there is private money and there is public money if you're thinking about the resources. I think there was a the, well, the latter part of the question was about uh, resources and how do you afford that. Is there a threshold for Medicaid? And I see Maurice is back. I don't want to keep him on wait or hold. Just answer that question real quick and then Maurice, you can go ahead and ask your question. Yeah, so I would say this, at least for the state of, because it's a joint federal and state thing. So I don't know what it is for California, but they do have thresholds for, and you can just look this online. I guarantee Maurice, if you look at it right now online, you'll find it for what it is for the state. Just put in a threshold and it will tell you. Uh, and it's usually pretty, Any most people should be able to qualify. And uh, the more progressive states like California, I guarantee you anyone could qualify. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can you hear me now, Maurice? Yeah, we can hear you. Go, go ahead. Oh, great, and great. So I wanted to say thank you, Maurice, for hosting this uh, very relevant uh, meeting. So when David talked, uh, he talked about the stigmas. One of the stigmas that stuck to me is this self-induced or internalized stigma. This is what affects us at work in our daily lives, especially for adults. So my question is actually to Dr. Maureen. How do we overcome this? What can we do to overcome this self-internalized stigma? Right. Oh, okay. Good question. Um, And I'm by no means any expert expert in this, but... um, a good place to start is to, um, and it sounds so cliche, but it's to really know who you are, right? If if I know me, if I know, yes, I might be lacking in knowledge in X, Y, Z, but what I know is adequate and I use it for the betterment of myself and others, somebody might come and tell me something. Yes, it might sting for a little bit, 
but I do have that foundation of what I know about self, about true self. Therefore, I will accept it. I will process that feeling, but as easy, I will let it out and let it go because there's an actual foundation on what I know about myself. So I advocate to really have a foundation of who yourself is so that outside noise doesn't really get to shift and move and change outcome, your perspective, yourself, even when it comes to realizing that, oh, I'm starting to change a little bit and I don't like it and therefore seeking help. Can I add on to what Maureen has said? Go ahead. The issue a lot of times with diagnoses and labels is that people begin to internalize that and make it their identity. So a lot of times when people have internalized stigma, they have internalized these negative evaluations of themselves. And so when people come to therapy, one of the things that we do is we educate them that there is a very deep connection between the way we think, the way we feel and the way we act. And so we get into schemas or mental templates that sort of guide the way we look at life and the way that we look at ourselves. So as you know, in psychology, for example, one of the things that we begin to change are those cognitive distortions that are leading into negative feelings and negative behavior. So we start by educating people on those, then we show them how to change those cognitive maps so that they begin to see themselves in more realistic ways and more positive ways. They have self-affirming verbalizations and self-talk. So we get into all those things. That's the essential aspect of doing therapy. And as psychologists or even social workers, you know, we are trained to do that. So that's one of the things uh, that we do. But if someone has internalized stigma, or they have a traumatic background because they have a father or a mother or a relative who used all these negative terms that they've internalized that, we have to reverse those processes in order for people to be able to function more optimally. So Maurice, just 30 seconds, I'll add to that just real quick. All stigma does is it creates self-doubt and also more than self-doubt, shame. Stigma doesn't come from others. It really comes from what you're feeling and what you're say, telling yourself. And now are some of the things that we have to do. Uh, and in social work, a lot of the people we work with, especially young people, they equate themselves to whatever their illness is or whatever their challenge is. And we really have to work to, towards that. And so that's a really big part about the stigma thing is uh, trying to tell people, don't equate yourself to whatever your situation is. And that's why I said it's very important to, to realize that whatever your situation is today does not have to be your life. Very, very good. Very well said. Uh, at this point, to wrap it up, I'm going to toss it to our leader, our fearless leader, uh, Dr. Daphne Kanyaru, who has put together this panel. Thank you, Maurice. Thank you, um, Dr. Maureen. Thank you, Paul and, and Dr. David. Yeah, thank you so much as we're going to have continuous seminars. So maybe we'll just discuss what will be our next topic, but we need to really uh, end this stigma. Like I said, even myself, you know, I was sick like a year ago and I started having panic attacks. That's when I realized I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, what is going on? So this is something that affects all of us. We have to be very much in tune with how we are feeling, how we are doing and be able to seek help, talk to a friend, you know, go talk to a professional. Don't wait. The sooner you you are able to get treatment, you are able to get therapy, the sooner you can get out of that situation and be able to move on because we, we want to thrive. That's what we want to do. We don't want to survive. We want to, uh, we want to thrive. So thank you so much for the contribution. We'll plan for our next meeting and we'll let you know. All right. So thank you so much, uh, Dr. Kanyaru. That I'm going to uh, let the panelists to kind of give their closing remarks. And I uh, will start with uh, with you, uh, Karina, since you're in, in my screen. 
Um, thank you guys for being here. I think the biggest take home, I, take home I can tell you guys is to be observant of um, your body. Be cognizant. Start to start to watch out for those things. You know, today you learned something new, so start to watch out basic things: how you're sleeping, how you're eating, your mood, your irritability, and if anything doesn't sit right with you, seek help. If you need to reach out to Maureen or Maureen or Daphne, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Maurice Ndole. And uh, you can also find me through my website. Uh, the Africana Voice has a contact form. All right, uh, uh, Paul, your closing Thank remarks. you for having me. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate this conversation. Very critical, important, as Dr. Maureen said, uh, especially for young people. My bias is towards young people. And uh, I would say there's, there's a few things that I just want to leave you in. If you didn't remember anything that we said today, we've talked a lot. You know, get treatment. You know, isolation, especially for young people, is, is a very big sign uh, that you need to get engaged. And then, uh, you know, should you get engaged or getting treatment also, join a support group. Uh, those are things that those are some things that can happen. And there's so many support groups. And again, you can look these things up privately. You don't have to contact us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Maurice. Teenagers, when, when they get to that stage, uh, psychologically, their friends are much more important than necessarily for you as a parent. They are much more attuned. They, they want to associate with their friends more than they want to associate with you. Uh, they are keeping secrets from you because that's a way for them to define themselves as individuals that are separate from you. So they're trying to separate themselves from you. And that's not necessarily a negative thing. And as I close, a lot of times when someone is suffering from mental illness, their families are in there with them. Families also go through all the negative effects of stigma. And what I can say is that we really need to open space for people to be able to share stories of people that have borne mental illness with courage and have either either recovered from it or learned to manage it effectively. And I think that when people hear those stories, because a lot of people think that when once you have mental illness, that's it, life has ended for you. And that's not the reality. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, on that note, we have come to the end of our presentation today. This has been a presentation. The topic today was overcoming mental health stigma. Uh, it's a very broad topic, so I'm sure all of us are still coming over here and leaving this forum with uh, lots of questions that we still have about this topic. So it calls for us to uh, it calls for us to have another session. Uh, on behalf of the panel, especially our leader, Dr. Daphin Kanyaru, uh, the the leader of the Central Valley Healthcare Professionals, we want to say thank you for attending this. Uh, session we will be posting this on our youtube channels the africana voice youtube channel is going to be available as well on uh, dr daphin kanyaru's website mylifestylemedicineglobal.com and also the youtube channel that she maintains and her facebook as well 